Well, good morning, Clemson Prez. It's a delight to be with you this morning um, in all of that uh, that uh, my brother uh, read uh, about me. Um, the most important thing is that I'm a child of the King, grabbed by the Lord Jesus Christ and strive to live a life devoted to him in the proclamation of his word. And we turn our attention to that word even now. Our message for this morning is titled, The Ultimate Goal. The ultimate goal and the passage I want to read into your hearing is Romans, the book of Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 through 7. Here's God's word. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. We are grateful, Lord, for your word that is not dead, but that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And we are all in this place, O oh God, naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And that's good news, because you know, Lord, therefore, precisely what we stand in need of this morning. So would you be pleased to take these efforts of mine, weak and unworthy though they may be, and use them to meet your people, to give us what we need, faith, hope, peace, joy, correction, conviction, encouragement, whatever it might be, that we might be people who live for the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, we all, we all uh, set goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, whether we are strategic planners, or whether we just come up with an idea about something we want to achieve, we set goals. And you heard in this introduction that I worked as a systems engineer and project engineering manager. That was my career before pastoral ministry. And, and right towards the end of that full-time career, uh, we had started to use this term that everybody had to set SMART goals. Uh, you had to meet with your manager and plan out your year and, and set these SMART goals, goals that were specific and measurable and attainable and realistic and timely. You had to 
have a plan for where you were going with your work and how you were going to get there. A little over 500 years ago, a German monk, Martin Luther, he launched the Protestant Reformation when he, he pinned his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and Martin Luther had had an epiphany, a revelation, when he was studying the book of Romans. His eyes were opened when he heard the Apostle Paul say in the first chapter in verses 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to, to faith. As it is written, the, the just shall live by faith. And, and Luther's world was turned upside down when he realized that being a Christian was not about trying to keep yourself right and justified before God. It wasn't about trying to measure up to the righteousness that, that God had required. Being a Christian was about receiving justification from God by faith in Jesus Christ. And he became a free man. His conscience was was free. Countless people have come to rejoice in the fact that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But let me tell you this this morning, our justification is not God's goal. As wonderful as it is and necessary as it is, it is not the goal of God's gospel. Apostle Paul didn't stop writing the letter to the Romans in chapter 1 or chapter 3 or chapter 4 or chapter 8 because he was going somewhere with his message. If you've been, spent any time in this letter, I'm sure you've become familiar with the wonderful passage in chapter 8 of this letter when the apostle says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Apostle has a goal in mind he's taking this, them to, and what we find in this letter that the, is the goal he's taking them toward is worship. What we see in this passage in Romans chapter 15 is that God's goal for us is worship. God's goal for everyone in this place here is worship. And the worship that is described is not what we usually think of when we hear that word worship, but it is, I think, the worship that is necessary as we continue to live in this world, the, the worship that is necessary as we deal with issues of race and justice and ethnicity and class and culture, a worship that allows us to reject the polarizing press of political parties and move toward one another and not past one another. I want to explore this worship in this text under three W's, witness, 
writings, and worship. Witness, oh right, not witness, I could say witness, weakness, <laughs> don't get there. Weakness is the first W. Weakness, writings, and worship. The weakness. Let's find our place in Romans 15. Why is the Apostle Paul saying what he's saying here? If we step back from these seven verses to survey the landscape of the letter to the Romans, we'll see, as we heard already in this uh, a service from chapter 12 and verse, verse 1, that, that Paul starts giving instructions to the church for what life in the community of, of faith is supposed to look like. He had taken 11 chapters to lay out the, 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 the good news of Jesus Christ in great detail. He said that this good news, right, was the power of God for salvation. He said that our ability to stand in good position in the presence of God is not based on what we do with our lives. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ alone and not based on any good works. He's explained that, that this is because everyone is in the same boat. It doesn't matter your ethnic or religious or cultural background. Everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. No one does good, Paul says not even one person. Therefore, Jesus Christ is and has to be the hope of glory. And when you consider all these things, then Paul says in chapter 12 and verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he's still talking about worship here in chapter 15 as a way of life. And the first aspect of that worship is, is weakness. He says in verses 1 and 2, but we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Had we been reading uh, before these verses in chapter 14, we would have found out that the weak that he's talking about here are those who are weak in faith. Their weakness is demonstrated by the fact that they eat only vegetables, that they regard one day in the Jewish year better than another. They don't drink wine. The strong, on the other hand, uh, understand their freedom in Jesus Christ. They understand that Jesus has declared all foods clean. Nothing is off limits. I can drink wine as long as I'm not making myself drunk. I'm no longer bound to, to recognize and celebrate the special days of the Jewish year. And Paul counts himself among the strong. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. And notice I did not say bear with the failings of the weak. The word with is there in our English text, but it has to be supplied in our English translations. It is okay to do so, but if you think uh, of, of bearing with somebody, the way we usually think about a phrase like this, you are missing the gravity of the apostle's point. The, to, to, to bear the weaknesses, the 
failings of those who are not strong does not simply mean to tolerate someone. It doesn't simply mean let me tolerate other people. Those who are stronger are not simply called to tolerate others. He's talking about this community of faith that's created by Jesus Christ. Not everyone is going to be on the same page and at the same place as it relates to their faith. Those who are stronger in the faith are obligated not just to tolerate their brothers and sisters who are weaker, they are obligated to carry those who are weak. They're not simply to endure through the irritating things that those who are weaker might say or, or do, the strong are strong, not to please themselves, but to help sustain and support those who are weak in order to build one another up. And he's already set them up for this implication of their lives as Christians back in chapter 5 when he said to them in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one might dare even to, to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When he was explaining the gospel, Paul said that Jesus Christ is the strongest one who gave his life for the weak ones, us. Christ has already done the bearing of the weak, but he didn't bear with our weaknesses. He carried our weaknesses in his body on the cross. You see, what Paul is talking about is the cruciformed aspect, the cross-shaped aspect of Christian community. He's not making this up off the top of his head when he gets to chapter 15. He knows that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And he knows that there are practical applications and implications of this cross-shaped life that Jesus calls his people to. And if I'm honest, when I read a passage like this, when I sit and consider these implications for me and my life, it, it's not natural for me to think that, you know, I, I'll think, you know, how does this apply to me, right? Here's the deal. Um, I, I can guarantee that most of us, when we think about, about this passage like this and this application, we don't think of ourselves in the position of the weak. We think of ourselves in the position of the strong. We don't naturally think, you know, I'm the one who's weak in faith that needs other people to help bear my weakness. Most of us don't do that. I mean, when you, when, I used to collect comic books when I was a kid. Um, so I'm in my joy now watching all these superhero movies you know, uh, coming to the big screen. And when you go to uh, a movie to see, you know, Black Panther, X-Men, Spider-Man, the Avengers, right? And you're imagining yourself in a role in the film, I can guarantee you, you're only imagining yourself in the role of the superhero. You, you know, when Halloween comes around and kids are thinking about getting costumes, right? They don't come 
to their parents and say, you know, this year, mom and dad, I want to dress up as the person that Black Panther saves. And your parents, if you do that, right, parents would be like, great, I don't have to buy you anything. You just go in your regular clothes. Can I offer this to us this morning? Would you consider with me the reality that no one of us is in the camp of the strong all the time? That no one of us is in the camp of the strong 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year when it comes to our faith. Paul's particular emphasis on what he's addressing with these Christians in Rome had to do with eating and drinking and holy days, but there are all kinds of other areas in trying to follow Jesus where we may be strong or we may be weak. You can be on any, in either camp depending on the issue. So let me say this as it relates to how we respond in this current day to the the pressing issues of, of race and justice and political polarization in this country. Walk with humility. Because it's possible that you might not be in the camp of the strong, you might be among the weak, and that consideration and reflection is actually what will help give us a mind to bear the weaknesses of others or to be carried by the strength of others. I almost titled this sermon Christian Debt. Why? Because of the way the verb obligation or owe is so foreign to our drive to be independent, to be my own man, to be your own woman. We don't like it, but we get the fact that we owe, we we owe the government taxes, right? We get the fact that unless we're independently wealthy, when you buy a a house, you, you incur a debt. When it comes to the issues that are challenging in our culture, issues of social justice, racism, political polarization that are raging in our culture. Are you convinced through your study of God's Word that the position that you hold is the correct one? Well, if you are, how are you engaging particularly other brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with you? Is your language and your approach vitriolic? Is your approach designed to tear down or to build up? Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, Paul says. You're obligated as a Christian to bear the failings of those weaker in the faith in a way that builds up its our debt to one another. He had spoken of this debt earlier in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, where he said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. The position that everyone is called to take is the position of servanthood. That each of you, each of us please his neighbor for his good to build up. 
Paul is reflecting what Jesus says in the Gospels when he says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all because the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to understand the Christian faith, you have to understand this reality that in Jesus Christ, the playing field is leveled. There are no super saints. There are no super Christians. Those who are more mature in the faith do not have some special status over those who are less mature in the faith. One group is not more Christian than the other group. That's why the apostle could say in chapter 14 and verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not by what you eat destroy the one who, for whom Christ died. And in verse 20 of chapter 14, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. My freedom as a Christian, my liberty as a Christian is much more than the freedom and liberty to eat what I want and drink what I want. My freedom is the freedom to lay down my life for the benefit of my brothers and sisters. It's the freedom, it is the liberty to die to my own preferences for the sake of others. It is my freedom to say, I want to see you grow in maturity in Christ. My heart's desire is to do everything I can to edify you, to build you up in the faith, to see you come to maturity in Christ. And this is something that we are to pursue, building each other up, edifying one another, pleasing one another together. And we're not left to figure out what it looks like where do we see this bearing with the failings of the weak model for us? What is our example of not pleasing ourselves? Or better yet, who is our example? Our example is found, Paul says, in the writings. <laughs> he says, in the scriptures. For as it is written, Paul says, even Christ did not please himself, for as it is written, the reproaches of those who have reproached you or the insults of those who have insulted you have fallen on me. And the apostle says, for whatever was written beforehand was written for our instruction so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Jesus did not please himself. Paul quotes here from Psalm 68, or Psalm 69 rather, he, he, he said he came to do his Father's will is what our Lord said in those scriptures, those writings that were written beforehand of, for our instruction. We find words like these from the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. 
It was the Lord's will, the prophet Isaiah says, to crush him. Jesus is our example. He's our Savior, but he's also our example living not to please himself, but doing all to please the Father so that he could bring you and I into God's glory. This was written, the apostle says, for our instruction. This was written so that through the enduring scriptures, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Paul says that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The endurance and encouragement of that scripture is intended to give us hope. It's intended to give us hope not just for what's coming tomorrow in the sweet by and by when Jesus returns, but hope for life right now that's lived by faith in the one who didn't live to please himself. To give us hope, the hope that God supplies for the here and now, for our life together as his people, the hope that God is the one who enables us to endure through the challenges of strong and weak, living together in one body for the glory of God. Let me, let me, um, let me free us up so that, so that you're not left with a burden too heavy to bear. Let me say this, uh, we can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it. This example of Jesus given to us in the scriptures as one who was willingly afflicted and oppressed and crushed, not because he had done anything wrong or worthy of that affliction, this denying ourselves to please others, this dying to self that you might build somebody up, uh, else up this laying aside this laying aside of your privileges for the benefit of others we don't have the love we don't have the endurance we don't have the desire to do this all day every day all the time for everyone you might be inspired to do it a little self-denying and self-sacrificing sometimes but not all the time so you don't think that you can live this life of worship that's being described here by Paul as self-denying, self-sacrificing, focused on building others up without the detailed instructions. Here's what I mean. Paul says that it was written, what was all that was written in the scripture has power and purpose. It was it has power for endurance and encouragement. When we come to the, the Bible, when we come to God's word, we're not just coming to words on a page or on a screen, we're coming to the very word of the living God. And Paul says in verse 5 that God is a God of endurance and encouragement. He's a God who gives endurance and encouragement. How does he help us to endure? It is as his spirit works in our hearts through and by his word. 
The purpose behind this power at the end of verse 4 is that we might have hope. We might have hope for what? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Why is it that we are to live in harmony with one another? Why is it that, that we are to please our neighbors? Why are we to bear with each other's weaknesses and failings? Why are we to edify and build one another up? It is all so that we might glorify God together. It is also that our life together as his people might bear witness to his radiance and glory. It, it is such that when those outside of the, of the body of faith, those outside of the, of the church look at the church, they marvel and say, how is that possible? How are those people together? That doesn't make sense. They come from all these different backgrounds. They got all these differences and issues. How are they together in love? It is all for the glory of God. Worship is described here as having a united mind and voice. It is described here as a lifestyle a lifestyle of welcoming one another for God's glory, just as we are welcomed by Jesus Christ into the glorious presence of God. Understand this, please, that the worship being described here is a supernatural thing. Like when you see sports teams, right, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever the case is, is, the best teams are the ones who have a united mind and voice. They're committed to one another and to their goal. That's what you're going to see in, in the, the, the teams that hold up championships, trophies at the end of the season. But that's not supernatural. That's something that men and women can accomplish in their own strength and determination. But the reason why what Paul talks about here is supernatural has everything to do with the goal, the goal of the glory of God. The goal is for the whole creation to be able to look at what is happening among those who follow Jesus and marvel at God. It's supernatural because it causes people to say, look at God, when they look at the church. God's goal is his glory. He's working by his spirit to bring people together across every dividing line. It has far too often and for far too long been the case that you can look at the church in our land and scratch your head about God. You hear what he says in verse 7? Therefore, since the goal is the glory of God, welcome one another, just as Christ welcomed you into the glory of God. See, here's the brass tacks. Every church has to ask itself. Every local expression 
of a community of faith in Christ has to ask itself these kinds of questions. What does it look like for those who are not reflected in the majority of this congregation? What does it look like for those who are not like us to feel welcomed among us? What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to to change that those who are not like the majority of folks can start to feel like they belong and and feel like this is home? See, because you can't assume your way into this goal. In order to welcome us into the glory of God, Christ had to become like us. He didn't do it from afar. How much are we willing to move toward those who are not like us racially, socioeconomically, politically, and every other difference? How much are we willing to change and and be changed in order to pursue this goal? Let me wrap this time up this way. A few years ago, Dr. Peter Lightheart said something pretty profound in an interview about the church, he said this, he said, the the good news is the good news of the unity of the human race. And the church is a proleptic sign of that eschatological reality. Now I had to look up the word proleptic because I didn't know what it meant. But but the imagery of something that is proleptic is you, it's like a forward-facing mirror. You look at the proleptic thing and you get a reflection of what's coming. He's saying you should be able to look at the church and see a reflection of where God is taking humanity. He says the church is a sign of the unity of the human race that will one day be perfectly achieved. It is also a sign of the cosmic unity that all things are summed up in Christ. And the church is to be the visible communion of human beings that anticipates the ultimate union of all things in Christ. It is a living sign, a community where that unity is already experienced in some degree. He says this is, in some respects, the whole point of redemptive history, the whole point of the story of the scriptures from the beginning to end, that God is going to knit back the human race in his son. And he says, when we fail at this, we are very deeply failing in the calling we are given. See, understand this. When we come to the pages of the New Testament, the expectation is not that the church will be monolithic. It, the expectation is not that the church will reflect one people group, one social group, one cultural group, one political group, one academic group. No, the expectation is that the church will be one as a reconciled community across all the polarizing and dividing lines in the society bearing witness to the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, Paul is letting us know that this is impossible for us, for for it to happen apart from God's power. That's why he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you May he give it to you to live in such harmony with one another as you follow Jesus Christ that you may be with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Christ empowers his people more and more to move toward one another, to welcome one another across conflicting lines, across dividing lines. He will empower his people for this welcome and embrace even and especially in the midst of conflict. And he delights to do it. 
He delights to do this work, but rest assured, he will change us in the process. And the change is good. It will make us an even more beautiful body as we glorify him together with one voice. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for your word and for this truth that you are committed to the ministry of reconciliation. You are committed to bringing people together into union and communion under the Lordship of Jesus Christ as one voice to glorify you, that people may see you when they look at your church. Be pleased to continue to do that work in this place, and we'll give you the praise for it. Amen.